I would like you to give a very warm welcome to Steve and Ros Lazar this morning. Yes, go. I will certainly let them do a little bit of introducing themselves, but we have quite a lot of, um, as you will look around, um, new faces in our midst. Um, so I just wanted to make it, uh, I guess, um, clear that uh, these guys are long-term family for us. Um, they were sent out from here 22 years or almost 22 years ago to serve the Lord um, on mission in Mozambique. And um, it's very much our heart as a church that in the missions that we support, that it's very relational. And uh, these guys have um, come back each year and shared with us. The last couple of years have looked fairly different for you too, um, having come home for a three-month kind of sabbatical to find that they couldn't get back again because COVID hit. So life has looked very different and I'll let them um, share with you a little bit about um, the mysterious ways of the Lord in the midst of things that we don't necessarily plan for. But before I hand the microphone over... Um, Adam and I are actually just going to come and pray for them because it is a great opportunity for us while we have them here to pray for them, for them personally, but also for the work in Mozambique um, as it continues. So would you, um, just as an act of um, joining in prayer, you might like to extend your hand towards them um, and let's pray. Heavenly Father... We just really want to acknowledge, God, the incredible faithfulness of the marathon that these two have run for you, Lord. Lord, the longevity and the endurance over decades, Lord, in and out of season, with many twists and turns, many of which they would not have known when they said yes to you to go to Mozambique. And so the Lord, as they are with us this morning, we ask for a fresh infilling of your spirit for them. Lord, that you would continue to stir and kindle within them, Lord, the call that you've placed on their life. In its many forms and seasons, Lord, and even in the midst of a season that has looked very different to what they would have anticipated. We ask, Lord, that you would continue to lead and guide them clearly. And, Father, that the deposit of your kingdom that you've placed in them, that, Lord, you would continue to enable them to speak that out and to father and mother those that you have placed with them. And God, we pray for the work in Mozambique. We thank you, God, for the faithfulness that we have seen of you over the decades. We thank you, Lord, for the couple who've been placed um, as managers over um, the base. We thank you, God, that even though they thought they were only saying yes for three months, that in fact you have grown and sustained and enabled them over nearly two and a half years now. And we ask, God, that you would continue to reach the hearts of those in Mozambique, that you would continue to draw the orphans to yourself, Lord Jesus, and that you would have your way. Thank you, Lord.
We just thank you, Lord, that you who have promised are faithful, that you are faithful to complete the work, Lord, that you call us to. And so I just pray for Stephen Ross, Lord God. I, I just pray that, Lord, as they seek you, Lord, in this season, what has looked very different, Lord, these last couple of years, God, may they not grow weary in doing good. May they continue to, to trust you, Lord, knowing that there will be a, there has been and there will continue to be a rich harvest, Lord God, as they continue to faithfully serve. So, Lord, I, I pray for just uh, open doors for them, Lord God, in terms of just uh, that, that real clarity, Lord, of your call, God, and what you are saying and what you are doing, Lord, in this season of their lives. And I just pray, Lord, for a fresh vision, for a fresh passion for them, Lord God, that they would continue to know your favor, your provision, and your grace upon them, Lord God. Let there be uh, just even greater fruitfulness, Lord, the work in Mozambique for your kingdom and for your glory, I pray in your wonderful name, King Jesus. Amen. Well, good morning, church. It's wonderful to be here. Uh, I'd like to say that we've just flown in from Mozambique, but we haven't. <laughs> like uh, Catherine said, we came home for three months and we've been here nearly two and a half years. But I want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart for your support and your prayers and friendship from many of you, which have sustained us over 22 years, in season and out of season. It's wonderful to belong to a body of people who actually care and are interested in what is going on way over the seas there. So thank you so much for that. Thank you to the leadership for your support to us. Um, it has been um, an interesting two and a half years for all of us and it has become really my passion to learn to live every day for today and not to look to tomorrow. As all of you have experienced, everyone's had changes in our lives over the COVID season. We've had parties and funerals and all sorts of things that we haven't been able to go to and people's jobs and lives have been changed but I've really tried to live every day for today and to be thankful for that day and to be thankful for being alive and what we have in Australia and it's been a wonderful two and a half years to experience Australia. It's taken me two and a half years to get used to Australia <laughs> but also the blessings that we have in this country are wonderful. And so for that, I'm really thankful for God to be around family, friends, safety, health care and everything else that we have here. Uh, I've done a little video for the end of the Stephen's sharing with you, which is really a testimony to God's faithfulness. We had some projects. We had a five-year sort of vision for what we wanted to be doing from sort of um, 2020 onwards. And some of those included building projects and other projects and um, those have actually been completed in our absence. What's Up is a wonderful way to build a new girls' area and build a gym and a reading room on What's Up. But uh, we've had a fantastic team of people back there who are doing, um, you know, just putting into place the things that we hoped and dreamed of. And so the video will show you that. I was just talking to Catherine before the service and she was asking, you know, how long we'd been then. I was thinking, we had a little fellow come to us when he was six weeks old, his name, him and his twin brother, Angelo and Ernesto. And those young men are turning 22 this year. So God's faithfulness is always in my face when I see the kids that we've, that God really put in our hearts and our, and our hands to, to give them a life. And so... Um, 
I hope through the video you'll be able to see a few before and afters in some of the projects that God has completed in our absence. But thank you again for your faithfulness to us and that we get to have a family when we come home as well. So God bless you. Thank you. Thanks, Roz. And um, just wanted to begin by reading a, a scripture um, from the Message Bible. It's from 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16 to 18. It says this, So we're not giving up. How could we? Even though on the outside it often looks like things are falling apart on us, on the inside where God is making new life, not a day goes by without his unfolding grace. These hard times are small potatoes compared to the coming good times, the lavish celebration prepared for us. There's far more here than meets the eye. The things we see now are here today and gone tomorrow. But the things that we can't see now will last forever. You know, God measures success in, in such a different way than we do. His success is measured by our obedience to him. And you know, I think Heidi often says, if you don't quit, you'll win. And I want to encourage you this morning in whatever God's calling you to do, don't quit. Because he smiles upon your success as you're obedient to him. It's wonderful to look around the room this morning. I think it's been a year uh, since Ros and I have been here to see so many familiar faces, so many of those who were in the church uh, some 25 or more years ago, when, or 30 years ago when this was our home church, that they're still here, to see so many faces that I don't know because that's the church, it's family. It's older people, younger people, new people, old people, people who've been here for 30 years, people who've just walked in the door. So I just wanted to share a little bit of our history here for those who are new. So you think, what are these old people up front? What are they talking about? Because this church, as Roz said, has journeyed with us. Roz, uh, as she shared, Roz was a teenager in Canberra. Uh, this church, I don't think then, existed, but Drew and Alison Just were her uh, youth group leaders some years ago. They didn't get everything perfect with her, but they tried. <laughs> uh, Ros and her family and her, her dad still lives here in Canberra, and her mum and dad were part of this church. Uh, Ros left Canberra and did nursing in Sydney, where we met and then began our journey of life after we were married uh, to uh, New Zealand, then many years in Bathurst in uh, New South Wales, then a year in Toronto, Canada, and then in 1996 um, I got a job as uh, head of maths at Radford College in Belconnen, and we had five years here um, in Canberra with our two children. This became, well this was our home church, at that time it was in Woden Library, 
followed by St George's Pierce and then to the, uh, the other building at Fishwick. And uh, what a great journey it's been uh, for us, but also a great journey for this church. And I was privileged, I think, uh, a couple of years ago to be here for the official opening of this uh, new building. It's been a journey, hasn't it? It's been a journey for us, but it's been a journey for you. And this church uh, has been faithful. Faithful in what God's asked them to do. And they've been very faithful to Roz and I. I know a few missionaries, and we've met many over the years uh, across the world, who have had the level of support, whether it be a prayerful support, uh, the number of teams that visited us, have visited us over the 22 years we've been there from this church, the financial support and the encouragement that this church has been and continues to be uh, to us. Thank you. Uh, thank you to uh, former pastors, Peter and Judy, and, and uh, to Andrew and Alison and the pastors for caring for us. When we came back at Christmas in 2019 for a visit, uh, we thought, well, as time rolled on, maybe the church is going to stop caring for us, and they've continued to care for us, continued to give, continued to pray, continued to uh, include us as part of this family. And when I contacted Andrew a few weeks ago and said we'll be in Canberra uh, visiting Roz's dad, we would love to share. He said, of course, and they just opened up the church and the pulpit for us this morning. Thank you. This is the church. Church is family. And this morning I'm going to share um, a few stories of Mozambique. I'm going to share about loneliness. I'm going to share about the role of the church during these times. I may say some things that you don't agree with, but that's okay. But it's all about Jesus. At the beginning of the day and at the end of the day, it's about him. Amen? Good to hear those amens. I'll have to get used to that. Ros and I head back to Mozambique in a month's time. We've got tickets booked for May the 16th. And at church there, every 10 or 12 seconds, they shout amen. So you're welcome all during the service. I'll have to get used to that again. Shouting amen and making lots of noise and running around, do whatever you like. Uh, you, are, you are most welcome. Amen. Um, as I said, we've been here. Just a little bit of what's been happening in our own lives. Our daughter Liz was uh, married uh, in, at the beginning of February in a small ceremony up on the Gold Coast. After a long battle with travel restrictions due to COVID, our son Peter and his family uh, arrived in Australia in late January and were with us for just under three months. We met our grandson Henry for the first time and we had a wonderful time together. Peter, Trish and Henry flew back to Canada uh, just last week. God has done wonderful things on our base and in the ministry, even in our absence. Isn't that good? The Mozambican leadership that we set in place for the three months that we were away have grown in maturity and responsibility. Our role has changed from that of decision makers to advisors. We're in contact with them many times each week. 
The youth who live with us as babies, they're still in regular contact. They're in need of iPhones, university fees, house extensions. Joanna just had her second baby, a little boy. Ivan is in second year university studying drama. Ernesto is just commencing again a computing course at university. Leisure's uh, completing grade 12 for the third time. Louise is playing lots of music and writing songs. As Roz shared, in the years or two years we've been away, we've built a new girls' area, a gymnasium, a reading room. We're refurbishing the visitors' area, getting ready for your next visit. We're supporting a recycling business at the garbage dump. We have 34 students who are studying at university and after the COVID restrictions uh, have lifted our school, academic school, uh, has uh, reopened in the last month. We funded some huge or large medical emergencies which a number of you have supported and we continue to support the internally displaced people groups in the north of Mozambique. Iris Australia has grown. It's a um, NGO, um, a registered charity in Australia, and they're supporting many projects over the world and in Australia. God is good. Amen? Amen. We believe that God will show us what our future will be as we return to Mozambique in May. God called us to Mozambique. God will call us out. The vision that God gave us in 2001 to raise up Mozambicans into leadership is being and has been fulfilled. This morning, I've entitled the ceremony, or ceremony? The sermon? <laughs> the power of connection. And I want to deal with the topic of empathy. You see... The empathy should, empathy should be foundational in our lives, both in the church and outside these walls. As Christians, empathy is a gift we should desire and pursue. Empathy is the ability to understand things from someone else's perspective. It's the ability to share someone else's feelings and emotions and understand why they're having these feelings. Romans 12, verses 15 and 16 says this, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. No better example of empathy can there be right now than the situation of the people in Ukraine. I saw this post recently online. Perhaps it was from someone from here, I don't know. It said this, I found myself complaining about the rising cost of fuel. And then I remembered I'd never have to run from missiles. I wondered if I needed to stock up on food staples. And then I realised I never had to send my children to school with their blood type taped on their backs. I shook my head at the thought of young men and women who in years past have headed overseas to serve and then I remembered that for Ukraine, war showed up on their doorsteps. 
Then I decided I won't brood over the downturn in the stock market or my superannuation while people are literally facing death. Instead, I'm going to pray for Ukraine and for Russia. I know that God will hear from heaven. He will lean down and listen when I pray. The Bible tells me that. I'm going to pray that whatever evil is intended, that God would turn it around for his glory. I'm going to pray that good would overcome evil and that it would happen sooner rather than later. I'm going to pray that God would hear the cry of every lost soul facing a war they didn't want and come to their rescue. I'm praying for the overwhelming supernatural presence of God in every corner of the Ukraine and of Russia today. So let's continue to lift our voices and call out on the name of Jesus. May God hear our prayers and turn this whole thing around. You see, that's empathy. Today, on the border of Ukraine, Iris has a little team there with a bus handing out food and clothing and hugging people and praying. Here's a couple of testimonies that I received this week from the border from one of our teams. There's an old man that has crutches and lots of plastic bags full of his possessions. It was difficult for him to walk and carry so many flimsy bags full of his possessions. I emptied my roller bag and we loaded some of his big plastic bags into it so it would be easier for him to manage. We asked the, 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 uh, the Ukrainian female guard if we could walk him to the Polish passport control and she carried one side of the bag and I the other and we walked behind the man carrying all of his bags. When we reached the Polish guards, they had a trolley and they put the man's bags. We prayed with him and we left him. Another testimony, I helped a lady with her luggage, her name was Olga. I hugged her and I prayed for her in English. She prayed for me in Ukrainian and told me she was a Seventh-day Adventist. She was headed um, into Poland and then across to Ireland to stay with her daughter. I made her a cup of tea. When she got to passport control, she ran back to where I was and gave me a jar of honey out of her luggage. I went back to passport control to give her the honey back, but she had gone. That's empathy, just doing simple things, just feeling what other people feel. And after 20 years, I think sometimes, why did we ever join Iris Ministries? We're very organised people. I cut my grass every Friday and I think in my drawer all the white socks are together and the blue socks. Iris Ministries or Iris Global is not like that. They colour outside the lines. When a crisis is there, they run. And they run and they don't always do everything the, the, the correct way or the, or the most organised way, but they're there with arms open. They're there to hug people and to give them a cup of tea and to give them a meal and to be the hands and feet of Jesus. It was where we first met Iris Ministries was during the floods in 2000. And at the collapse of the garbage dump a few years ago, 
and in the feeding of thousands of people today in the north of Mozambique who fled their villages because of insurgency. You see, that's empathy. That's compassion. When Roz and I first arrived in Mozambique, God broke our hearts. We felt what they felt. Our two-week visit became a three-month visit. Then a commitment for a year, which has now turned into 22. I believe that when God touches our hearts by something, we need to do something about it. We need to pray. We need to feel what those people feel. And we need to ask God, what do you want us to do about it? The Bible encourages us, doesn't it, to be doers of the word. Let me share with you a couple of stories over the years. In 2002, a young man turned up at our gate. His name was Acasio. He hadn't gone through the correct application process to come to our centre. He arrived at the door and said that he had been in prison in Angola for drug-related activities, but he had found Jesus. He, of course, he had nowhere to stay. He asked to stay for a few days, and those days turned into months. He had a vision to begin a drug rehabilitation centre. But after the floods of 2000, we didn't have much money. We were praying daily for our bread and for our food. I was a bit dubious about his credibility, but Heidi, she showed lots of empathy. She gave Acasio a few cartons of Pop-Tarts, an old boat, and a thousand dollars that we could not really afford to give. Three years later, we saw Acasio, and he invited us to his drug rehab centre across the water at Katembe. It was amazing. Politicians, lawyers, doctors, influential people had sent their children there. A few years later, he had the largest and most successful rehab centre in Southern Africa. You see, that's the result of empathy, of feeling what he felt. We had more than 500 children in the centre when we arrived in 2001 that had been gathered from the streets the garbage dump, from police, social welfare, and dropped off by family members. Ros and I just began to observe what was happening. Children were receiving clothing, food, love, the gospel, education, and good health care. But God gave us a vision for family. 20 years later, hundreds of children have been reunited with family and there are now less than 200 children who live on the base. I remember the first child that we reintegrated or sent back to family. Her name was Raquel. Again, we didn't have much money in those early days. Raquel was reunited with her grandmother, who lived way out in the bush in a very poor setting, a house made of straw on a dirt road, the whole family living in two small rooms. No water, no electricity. How could we send her there from a base where she received three meals a day, a warm bed, school, running water, church and security? As the car approached the house, Raquel asked the car to stop. She jumped out of the car 
and ran down the hill into the arms of her grandma. You see, she knew what it meant to belong, to be loved and to be accepted. And that's the core of our hearts, isn't it? To belong, to connect. You see, in my head, our centre is the best. It's the Hilton Hotel for orphans and vulnerable children. But I learnt a lot that day from Raquel. And her testimony in life has propelled us into reuniting as many children as possible with good family. That's love, that's empathy. Poverty is never a reason to separate children from their families. We're thrilled even in the last month that two of our older youth have been adopted and fostered by staff members. There's nothing better than family. God never created children's centres, but he loves family. More than 70% of our budget is now spent outside of the centre, building houses, providing food, education and health care to keep children in their families. You see, we all want to belong and connect. But let me bring you this closer to home. In the last two years, I've done volunteer driving up on the Gold Coast. I take elderly and sick and, and uh, disadvantaged people to appointments. And the biggest issue for those people that I drive, far above their sickness or their disability, is loneliness. It's the reason that I drive, to spend time with them, to feel what they feel. Let me tell you two stories. One is the story of a, a lady, her name is Marie. I told her that I'd be talking about her in church this morning. She's not a Christian. She lives on the north side of the Gold Coast, and the Gold Coast is quite big these days. Every day of the week, a car goes to the north of Mozambique, picks her up. She has to get an injection from her doctor. I'm not sure what it's for. But she has her doctor all the way on the south side. It's a good 45-minute uh, drive. So we drive, her up to, drive up there, pick her up, bring her down to the south side, drop her at the doctor. She has her injection, uh, buys everyone at the, at, the, at, the, at the office a cup of coffee. Another car comes back, spends another hour driving her home. And I said, Marie, why don't you just find a local doctor? Why don't you just... She said, you know why? Because she said, I love that every day I have three hours with someone. She has an hour with the driver. She, she insists on sitting in the front seat and she talks about her family and about her dog and about what's, what her day is. She has an hour at the doctor's surgery. Then she has an hour. She said, I love my life because I'm not lonely. I'm with someone. And I can talk to someone every day. I pick up a man, his name is Dave. He was 30-something years as an ambulance driver and I'm sure extremely busy in his work. He's retired. And I picked him up one morning. He said, uh, look, if you don't have a really busy morning, can I just stay with you in the car while I do other runs? I said, sure. Because he was lonely. And you see, this morning I want to share about what is our responsibility as a church when it comes to loneliness. You see, loneliness isn't a new problem. It's been with us for a long time. God created Adam and it wasn't long before the Lord said, it's not good, Adam, that you should be alone. I'll make a helpmate for you. 
Adam was lonely and God provided a companion to remove his loneliness. Loneliness is being all by yourself, perhaps even when you're surrounded by people. It's a feeling of isolation, even in the midst of a crowd. You feel unwanted, unneeded. You feel as though nobody really cares. It robs you of hope. It can put walls up around you no matter how free you might feel. It's real. It's no respecter of persons. The Christian or the non-Christian can be affected. Those close to the Lord and those far from the Lord can be caught in the grip of loneliness. But you see there's a difference about, between being alone and being lonely. You can be alone and not lonely. In fact, there are times when we need to be alone. Jesus said that in Matthew chapter 14. He sent the multitude away. He went up into the mountains apart to pray. There he was alone. You can be lonely in a crowd, in a church, even in a marriage relationship. A huge issue for our missionary staff, even though we're surrounded by children, community, lots of activity, is loneliness. What can we do? We can draw alongside others who are lonely. As believers and as a church, we need to feel for those who are lonely. You see, we live in a generation of casual contacts. How many people on your street do you know? How many of them do you want to know? During the recent floods in Queensland, the voluntary organisation I was with was called to help houses who were flooded. We approached a house that was reported to us by the SES and I saw a golfing buddy next door to the flooded house. He lives there and his house was fine. Yet he didn't know his neighbour's name and didn't, hadn't offered her any help. And I was astounded. But you see, Jesus makes a difference in our lives where we can show love and compassion and empathy to those who are around us. We as the church have a responsibility. We must empathise with others, those both inside the church and those outside of these walls. I love to hear that from, from uh, uh, Adam and uh, the other day when we, when we met together that uh, you're beginning or you're continuing to uh, minister and to reach out to the local community here, to the caravan park and and to those people there and say, just come and come over and have a meal. And I think, uh, Catherine said, maybe nine people came the other night and had a meal here. You see, that's, that's the church, opening the doors and saying to people, come in, have a meal, feel welcome. You don't have to sign anything or, or, or become a member of the church, but we want to feel what you feel. We want to be the hands and feet of Jesus I remember in days gone by when church services just went for as long as the Holy Spirit led. Then we hang around for lunch and then back for the evening service. But today we're busy. Parents are working six days. We have tight schedules and we're checking the clock on the back of the wall. So we don't go over time. As a friend said to me, we're all in a hurry to go nowhere. During this COVID season, of course, it's been necessary and been mandated at times for the church to close and do services online. But now we've reopened, many have still said, well, I just prefer to continue to watch online and not meet. 
some for good reason. But we need to remember what the point of the church is. It's a gathering of like-minded people who worship and fellowship together. We are Jesus-centred, heaven-looking people connecting to one another. Church is family. One of the favourite churches that we, Ros and I, visit is in Pittsburgh. We met the pastors, Bill and Melinda, way back in the Toronto days. They were in the front row. They were leaders in this great movement of the Holy Spirit. And they travelled all over the world. Then the Lord began to speak to them about their hometown, about their own family and about their community. Their local church and family were struggling. So they decided to move back home and be with family. They meet Saturday nights. Their church family bring their meals together. They fellowship, they worship and they hang out. That's family. During the week they meet at Starbucks and they talk over life issues. Their numbers are very small. As a church they've sponsored a family out from the Ukraine and are fully responsible for their integration into society. You see, that's family. That's church. That's empathy. As a church, we want to reach out to the lonely, to the widow, to the orphan, those who are struggling in some way, which is probably most of us. Like orphans in our centre that need a mum and dad, our community needs the church. Our community needs this church. Iris Australia, as I said, is a registered charity in Australia. We can receive funds for education, for medical, for relief efforts and more, but not for religious work. After a massive mudslide in 2017, the church at the garbage dump was destroyed. So Iris Australia decided that they would build not a church, but a community centre that's used every day by the community including the church. People in Mozambique go to church every day because that's where they meet their neighbours, their friends and their families. They gather together. That's the church, a place for people to gather, everyone. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 says this, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others, above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. You see, in the last couple of years, many churches have struggled, particularly in America with the rise and fall of Donald Trump and worldwide the effect that COVID has had on gathering together. And then, of course, the issue over vaccination mandates. Let me tell you a story. A man dies and he meets St Peter's at the pearly gates. Peter offered to give the man a tour of heaven. He took the man down a long hall with many doors. He stopped at the first door and Peter opened and whispered, these are the Pentecostals. He quietly closed the door and led the man to the next door. Opening the door, Peter whispered, These are those who are pro-Donald Trump. Closing the door, Peter led the man to the next door. He whispered, here are the Jehovah's Witnesses. 
Peter opened door after door after door with the same procedure. After he quietly closed the last door, St. Peter led the man back to the pearly gates and the man said to Peter, Peter, why did you whisper? Peter said, because each group thinks they're the only ones here. So often, on particular issues, we're sure we are right. But at times, we can be so right that we're wrong. In Romans chapter 14, verses 1 to 12, Paul addresses the issue of divisive behaviour. In those days, it was the issue of eating meat or vegetables, issues over observing holy days, even over circumcision. But Paul says that neither side should pass judgment on the other because God had welcomed both. We see Christians who are energised by a particular issue and they take actions against each other. It divides God's house. Paul recognises that as Christians, our entire life should should centre on Christ, our love of God and our love for others. As we come up to Easter, it shouldn't just be at Easter time, but it again refocuses us on what is it all about. It's not about my opinion. It's not about the way that I do things. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus, the Son of God. Not just someone, not just my son, the Son of God, who loved you and I and the people over the road and my next door neighbour. So much that he would send his son Jesus to die on the cross. That's the message of the church. Paul encourages us to welcome, to accept and to aggressively receive all. He says, I love God, God loves me. You love God, God loves you. Therefore, I will love you. In these days, people are crying out for community, for acceptance, for love. Jesus is the answer. And we carry the name of Jesus as the church. The focus of this Romans 14 passage can be summarised in verses 7 and 8. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Many people find strength in becoming church police, (coughs) enforcing policies that perhaps serve no real purpose than to rob the community of its vitality. Jesus has freed us to love and honour God and love one another. The matter of living and dying in a way that honours Jesus is what is ultimately important. In these days, that's us, the church, has a real opportunity to make a difference. John Wimber, (coughs) excuse me, who founded the Vineyard Church said this, empty a church of relationship and you empty the church. In the church, we need to continue to encourage each other to have authentic relationships by being authentic 
ourselves. Let's just say, if we can just turn our heads, if you like, and watch this little video that Roz has uh, put together, it's just, uh, some of our stuff in Mozambique, then we'd just love to uh, pray with you. Why don't we just stand this morning as we finish? And uh, I just want you to, maybe you feel uncomfortable during these times, but if you don't, just join hands with the person next to you. If that doesn't make you feel uncomfortable, because we're family. You know, God's place, this church in Fishwick, has done for many years, for a reason. And that you would be a light in a dark place. And sometimes we feel less than worthy. Well, Jesus is the only worthy one, but he uses ordinary people. Just ordinary people who'll say yes to him, and he will use you. It's so wonderful to see so many new people in this church I pray that over the next months and the next years, the biggest problem that the leadership have is where are we going to fit all the people? How many services are we going to have to have? How many days are we going to have to be open to deal with the people who are coming through these doors? Because that's what the church is here for. Yes, we come together on a Sunday to worship together, but that's just one part of it. Father, I pray over this congregation today just like Ros and I, in a small ways, are, are the hands and feet of Jesus to the Zimpeto Centre. That, Lord, where you've called these two, they would be the hands and feet of Jesus to a lost and dying world. The Father, we wouldn't get tied up with arguing about things that are not necessary. But, Father, we would shout the name of Jesus, the name above every name, the name of, 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 of the Son of God who died on the cross for me and for them. The Lord, that they would have amazing opportunities to minister to people that I never will be able to, to their neighbours, to those who they work with, to those who they study with, to the people who live across the road from here, and that we would love them and care for them and, and receive them and feed them and clothe them. And maybe some of them will run into Jesus along the way. And Lord, our, our, our glory is to you. And Father, this morning I pray across this room for those who are lonely. I pray, Lord, that they would find, firstly, the friendship of knowing Jesus, of spending time with him. But I pray, Lord, that they too would be able to put their hand up and say, I'm in need of help. That they would run and people would recognise that they need to be gathered around, to be loved, to be hugged, to to have a coffee, to have a meal, to be visited. And that, Father, we would again be refreshed as a church family. Father, we want to be family. And family has uh, mad uncles and, and naughty children and all of those things in them. Father, we would be uh, accepting of one another as a church, as the light in this dark place. Bless them here this morning. Bless uh, Andrew and Alison and bless the pastors of this church Bless leadership from the past, Lord, who've sown in and, and, and can celebrate the fruit of these days. Father, we bless them this morning and we bless this church in Jesus' name. Amen.